Welcome to Embedded Edge with Knitting, a podcast that brings to life the stories behind today's embedded systems, technologies, and products. It's the show where you'll hear from both engineers and executives on some of the most topical news and most pressing challenges in the world of embedded system design. Here's your host, Editor-in-Chief of Embedded.com, Nitin Dahad. Hello. Welcome to this edition of Embedded Edge with Nitin. In this episode, we talk about EDA trends and we talk about hardware as a service for the embedded industry. Following his talk at the 58th Design Automation Conference in San Francisco this month, we took the opportunity to get some thoughts from Joe Sawicki, Executive Vice President of ICEDA at Siemens, on where the embedded industry is heading. He talked about why he thinks digitalization in the semiconductor industry is expected to drive massive industry growth in the years ahead. He also touched on other EDA topics, like the role of AI in EDA. He explains why every time he hears that Moore's Law is dead, he cringes, and why he's optimistic, especially with 3D scaling and heterogeneous integration. In my second interview in this episode, I learned about a new hardware-as-a-service offer from Microelectronica, known as Micro for short. CEO Ned Matic is an enthusiastic founder and CEO who wants to make it easier for everyone to develop using embedded boards. The company's new Planet Debug solution offers that ability, where you can rent a development board and work on it in real time from any remote location from just $4 a day. So first, let's go to Joe Sawicki. I'm here with uh, Joe Sawicki, uh, Executive Vice President, uh, IC, Siemens EDA. Uh, hello, Joe. How are you? Good. So you gave a presentation at DAC talking about some of the trends in the EDA industry from uh, two or three different fronts. Can you just outline those, please? Sure. You know, one of the things I think is most important to realize is the EDA industry is a servant industry. I mean, we serve the semiconductor electronics market. And so much of what's going on, irrespective of our own technological developments, our own trend lines, is really going to be tied into what's happening in those spaces. And I think that's one of the more interesting stories that's been occurring over the last couple of years. We've had a Bizarre time, I think, for the semiconductor industry through the aughts and the tens, where there mm. was an incredible amount of pessimism in the industry. Mm. Is you had people talking about that? Okay, Moore's law is dead. That there's no new. There was no new venture funding. Consolidation was the only way to growth. And we took a look back to take a look at okay, what was going on in terms of growth in the industry. And what we found was that correlated to the fact that through all of the decades up until the 2000s, semiconductor Mm. grew faster than the global GDP. 2000s and 2010, it grew significantly slower. We were becoming a, rather than a growth industry, a lagging industry. And right around the 2019 timeframe, that has all completely turned around to where now we're seeing trends for the next decade to come, where semiconductor will again grow at a rate about 50% faster than GDP. And that sets up an entirely new attitude and and new set of facts out there in the industry. In a way, I think... uh the trade wars are irrelevant here because, I mean, the industry is growing. It does what it needs to do. Is that right? 
Yeah, I mean, I think if you back out and look at the trade war, I think that's almost a an emphasis of those trend lines. Okay. Is that um, because semiconductors are becoming so important to this macro trend of digitalization, sensor data, connectivity, 5G, data centers, it just makes it so much more of a national priority that now we are becoming a conscious part of political agendas that we were not necessarily so much before. That's but, the under, but the underlying trend lines are, are incredibly strong and driving an enormous amount of investment and new activity in the market. Okay. Um, now, let's talk specifically about um, some of the areas. Yeah, I, I, mean, I think what's what's interesting is if you, if you just start to look at data on sensors in terms of how many are being produced and how much being how much data is being driven off of those new sensors it's just enormous if we look at the data on that sometime in 2015 you were looking about 1.6 billion semiconductor sensors projected mm-hmm. in 2025 is 29.6 billion uh, a lot of those being video as you know video drives an enormous amount of data and I think that's when then starts to build up that cycle where you have more and more data being driven out there, sensed on the edge. You have more need to have uh, data processing on the edge. You have more need for communication to bring the process data up to a data center. And you have more need for data centers because all this stuff comes together. And you layer that on top of virtually every company out there has an explicit digitalization strategy where they're trying to not just move their products to where they become more smart systems, but also move their entire business models around the presence generation and adding value to customers around that data. EDA and IC design has a a unique characteristic that makes it really interesting to look at um, machine learning. And that's that the data that you can produce off just a single chip is immense. If you think about a, a full field reticle type of chip, chip, you're talking literally tens of billions of gates all interacting, each mm-hmm. one of those having a set of wires that are defining how it will turn perform in terms of performance, each of those generating massive amounts of patterns that need to be printed on the wafer, which means that you have this opportunity to collect an enormous amount of Pattern information versus performance information, whether that be around yield, timing, power, any of those aspects. Mm. And so I think that's why you've seen um, uh, AI becoming a ubiquitous methodology across almost every tool category that we have in place, whether that be from uh, yield learning types of tools where we have developed technology where by looking at failure data off of um, chips that that fail from manufacturing test, we can identify that there's a tungsten deposition tool that's having an issue in the Idaho fab that needs to be done put on maintenance. Mm. That starts to look fundamentally a little bit like magic. And that spreads across all, all the different areas of design. You can look at areas like using AI to help determine that fundamental question that has driven us crazy for 40 years. When are you done verifying a chip? Yeah. When, exactly. when have you when have you put sufficient vectors across this that you know how it's going to behave? And so I think that that across the industry, it's hard to imagine a product that does not have 
some aspect of machine learning and AI being built into the technology at this point. Excellent. Um, so what are you seeing as Siemens um, in terms of key things that are happening for you uh, as a company in, in this industry? Uh, give me some examples of where, you know, sort of key developments for, for the company. If you look at from the IC perspective, we mm. really look at there being three main drivers for what we need to do to enable that whole digitalization trend and the opportunity for our customers to grow. Um, first off, technology scaling. Um, mm. One, one. Um, every time I see an article saying Moore's Law is dead, I cringe. Um, <laughs> if, if you look at the data, every year Apple puts out another application processor, and every time it's a new node, it's got about twice the transistors, it's running at about the same die size, and it has higher performance. Yep. So I'd like to look that good when, when I was dead. <laughs> um uh, and it also involves 3D scaling. We do think Correct. there's an, an, a, ma a massive opportunity for uh, heterogeneous technology integration in package to help put in place some of those same cost drivers that heterogeneous integration on die does. And that's going to take an enormous amount of work because as much as I'll blithely state that you know, we continue to be optimistic about Moore's Law, from a technological perspective, it is a significant challenge when you look at moving from planar to FinFET to um, stacked gates, to a potential 3D stacking of NMP transistors, if we can figure out the processing aspects, all that's mm -hmm. going to require enormous amounts of work. Yeah, obviously. Um, yep. The, the, the second driver we see is just the aspect of design scaling. Um, mm. You know, you've, you've, we've been hearing now for a decade about the $250, $500 million per chip cost of design. Um, clearly, if you just multiplied the number of designs by 250 million, that significantly exceeds the total R&D spending for the industry. So every chip doesn't cost that, but inarguably, design is becoming more expensive as each generation's design in that new node has twice as much functionality in it. And we need to find pathways to make that more effective. And whether that's the application of AI to some of the core tool usage or things like moving up an abstraction by moving to more of a C-level design with a high-level yes. synthesis, we have to drive those or else at some point in time, you just simply run out of engineers on the planet to do what we need to do eight years exactly. from now. Yeah. And then finally, the, the last one, and, and I think this is the one that really illustrates what was the um, the reason why Siemens went and purchased Mentor Graphics back now almost five years ago, and that's the aspect of system scaling, is that if you look at probably the, the biggest trend within the semiconductor industry has been the... Um, entrance of systems companies into the semiconductor market. Okay. If you if you look over the last few years, systems companies now represent um, about 21.3% of the foundry market in terms mm -hmm. of sales. The compounded okay. growth rate's been almost 28%. And why are they doing that? It's because of the ability of a systems company to custom architect a chip that allows them to differentiate a product in a significant way. Yeah. Uh, I think a, a great example of this is, you know, Apple went 64-bit for, first for application processes and cell phones. 64-bit has had always been seen <clears throat> as a method of increasing address space. When, you're, when your programs and data sets got too large to fit within 32-bit, you went bigger so you could have more addresses. We didn't need mm -hmm. more addresses in application processors. 
It was done for power. They were optimizing for the power characteristics of their phone. And I think you're seeing that spread amongst so many industries, not just in, in communications, things like automotive, uh, things like people, the hyperscalers doing their own data centers, where what they're looking to do is differentiate what they can deliver to an end customer by differentiating the semiconductor. And that's where you really need to look at that system scaling. It's not enough to, to validate or design in the context of a single chip. You need to be able to look at that in a systems context. Uh, a great example of that is there's a program we've been working on for a number of years now with some OEMs and tier ones called PAVE 360. And what mm -hmm. that is, is a methodology for us to bring together not just the simulation of an individual chip, not just the simulation of multiple chips, but also tying that into then uh, simulation models of both the, the car uh, power system, the car uh, suspension system, and a model of a road driving environment so that we can essentially virtualize the yeah. simulation of an, a full autonomous driving system. I think pulling those three things together over the next eight years is what's going to enable us to really be that effective servant to the electronics and semiconductor industry to enable that growth we've been talking about. Joe, so uh, just to end, um do you have any, we're at that time of the year. Uh, do you have any predictions uh, for what's going to happen in 2022? <laughs> and, uh, uh, that's a lovely question, God. Because I, I, I immediately what I thought about is if you'd asked me that same question at the beginning of 2021, how wrong I would have been. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's difficult to say things have moved so fast. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the hope is that at some point we move to a place. I, I don't think that we can look towards a, a, a thing where we can say we ended COVID, but hopefully mm. we can we can move to a place where it becomes more like one of the cold viruses that already goes around in the world. Mm. Um, because you know we have been almost ready to get back and be uh, to a in the office work environment multiple times over the last year and have continually had to pull back those plans. Um, it's really hard to make predictions when you, when you can't predict whether or not you'll end up have, being able to have more than 10 people in a room Yes, that's during, true. During, during the next few months. Okay. Well, Joe, thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking with you. Now we turn to Micro's Nedmatic. It's a new concept. No one makes something similar so far, or at least I don't know it, know, know for it. So, you know, we all know for our software as a service, it's it's been in industry for, uh, I don't know, decades. But this, this is the first time that we have in our embedded industry, hardware as a service. So you could rent a board before you buy the board, or maybe you will not buy at all. Maybe you will rent it for uh, 10 days, 15 days, 20 days, as much as your project need. So this, this concept is based on a Necto Studio, which is our uh, integrated environment, uh, and uh, CodeGrip, our uh, world-first uh, uh, Wi-Fi debugger. So those two things are very important for, for this new concept. And we add inside the compiler live streaming. So you see the board you are using. It's not kind of a, uh, you don't need to imagine anything. 
So you see in real time what's going on on the board. You see in real time that you're programming the board. You see in real time what your program is doing. And on, on top of it, you could do step-by-step uh, debugging. Even the board is on another continent. What, what you've got is you've got racks in your, your locations where they're set up with these boards with the cameras so that when they log in via Nect, uh, Planet Debug and Nectar Studio, they can then choose a board and then work on that board and they'll see that live. Is that, is that the concept? Yes, yes, exactly. So the, on, the only thing what users have to have is the Wi-Fi connection and Nectar Studio installed on, on his uh, laptop or a PC. So, and then you go to uh, Planet Debug in Nectar Studio uh, and choose the boards. Which board you want to use? Is it PIC32, some ARM, or uh, PIC18? Who, who knows what pro- your project needs? And then you connect to that board. You could be easily, you could be instantly accessing to that board and you could directly programming that board and you see in real, uh, in real time what that, that board is doing. So, yeah. you know, every, every of those microcontrollers, every board have uh, uh, already 1,000 examples. So, you know, you are not starting from zero. You are starting from 1,000 examples. And yeah. then you build your project. So, and if the board is not um, fit to your project, you could ask us to make setup specially for you. So, you choose that board, several different clicks. Uh, I want to have, I don't know, TFT on that board. I want to, I, you know, whatever you want. So yeah, Wi-Fi, uh, GSM, Bluetooth, whatever. whatever. Any sensor, whatever. So, so we will be gladly making that. But that setup is specialized setup for you. And that setup will cost you $4 per day. So the boards you see in in, uh, Nectar Studio are free. So you could use it uh, freely. But if you need something specialized for you, that setup uh, will cost you $4 per day. We need one day to make it. So one day to place that board in the frame, et cetera. So and the frame right now, we have three big frames uh, in, uh, in Belgrade, but it could be anywhere. So it could be on some university. It could be uh, in some company, which, for example, doing design service, or uh, maybe in your company doing your own project. Okay. So, so this is quite important as a concept now. So you offer the service from your locations, but also companies, large companies or, or small companies can buy a large rack, like, for example, a university or a large design services company, or... Yeah, the, the smaller racks, and they can then buy those and put them in their location so that they can have their own remote teams working on it. Yes, yes. Right now we have uh, have uh, boards in, in, in our headquarters. We have in Minnesota, we have in Mexico, we have in a uh, few boards in uh, a nearby university here. So it's the concepts start to, to share, uh, share. So if I wanted my own rack to install it, say, in, in a central location, and then my sort of remote teams can all access it, how much does that rack cost me? Well, it's just a cost of the of the construction, few switches, cameras, and then the boards. If you want to buy our boards or any other boards, so you don't need to use only micro e boards. So if you, for example, use your own boards, you you just need the code grip debugger. So that's it. So so the camera is actually the 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 most expensive part, uh, at my opinion. So. 
the camera is, is as you as you could see is a really good camera so yeah. you have a very precise uh, uh, picture and that camera could use the decoding standard which uh, you know Netflix and HBO use so the camera is actually the, the about 500 600 dollars I, I I can't recall correctly so let me get this right are you providing the rack to people or are people building the rack themselves based on your specification they could do the both so if okay. they All right. would uh, that we build for them and to deliver we could do that if you know because the it's very simple you have to place camera on a on a uh, exact uh, exact um, uh, distance between uh, from the board so mm-hmm. you have the the best view the best uh, camera efficiency so that's it so if you could do it in on your shelf or something like that no problem mm-hmm. There was, I think, quite a, another thing that you said is, you know, you can zoom in, you can do everything that you're doing as if the board is on your desk. Yes. So uh, oh. you, what you will, for example, when you don't, uh, when you don't see the name of the chip, so you, what you will do with your board, you will take it and and move closer to your face, and then you hold will, it. You hold it up to your. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and here you just zoom. So you know, and and uh, uh, sometimes you just need to. To calculate those LEDs or something like that, you know, it's much better if you zoom it, and then it's easier for you. Especially, as you could see, we wear the glasses, so <laughs> it's actually simple. If the Netflix does not have the lag, if the HBO does not have the lag, we don't have the lag too. So okay. we use the same coding standard. Right, and now if um, I'm wanting to use this, um, if you, this is launching in December, or is that right? Yes. It's okay. Possible. The concept, the concept uh, uh, is uh, existing for some time, few months, but we are now promoting it because we, you know, we have to test it heavily. Uh, okay. we to, we, and we we actually invest a lot of a lot of time in making a, a code grip. So I told you it's it's about three years of really heavy work, and and this is the first ever built Wi-Fi debugger in the world. Okay. In terms of coping with demand, say, for example, loads of people want to want to use it at the same time. So what's your capacity going to be and how many boards can I choose from as well? So capacity and, and boards. Well, you know, it, uh, it's uh, the number of the boards which could be used at the same time. It's just uh, just uh, your, uh, depends only on, on your internet connection. So right. that's it. If you have a, a nice internet connection, optical cable or something, you could have uh, hundreds of boards. So you know, uh, in in today's house, houses you have a very good internet. So in each of us in 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 their house, they could have 20, 30, 50 boards. So, what, what about at your end uh, in terms of capacity? Because uh, obviously, if everybody wants to use it, I, how are I, you going to cope with that? I, yeah, I am looking forward for that. So right now we have a seventy-two boards uh, in in our headquarters. We are now increasing for 100, and I'm looking forward to the end of the next year to have 1,000 boards ready to okay. be used. So this is something uh, uh, we are we are heading. At the moment, you've got I think you said 3,130 chips you can choose from. Is that right? And then you're going to enable yeah. and these are standard chips, and you can use those, or you can use you can choose your own, but then you have to set it up beforehand. Well, you know, in inside the NACTO, there is a there is there, because the NECTO is the compiler, so so you need you need there is a, a lot of microcontrollers inside. So we about 
I don't know, it's right now it's about three and a half thousand, something like that. But you you know, each of them we could place on a Sebring card, place it on a on a frame, uh planet debug frame, and you could use it. So no problem at all. So right now we uh, we support uh PIC 18, PIC 24, uh, uh, DS PIC 30, DS PIC 33, uh, PIC 32, ARM from uh, uh, Kinetis, uh, the Texas Instruments, the um, uh, ST. So RISC V is coming in February. So, you yeah. know, it's, we, are, we are now spreading the whole concept. Uh, how students uh, do project right now? So they have to have some boards. Uh, they take it to the home or maybe they work in the lab and then, you know, because of this COVID, you can't access to the lab or you could, you, you can't go uh, uh, outside of your house. And then plus you have to wait uh, boards, someone to ship it. Maybe that company are not working, etc. So this solves all those issues. You just connect to a board, which is in the frame. That frame could be on your university. Uh, a university lab manager will allow a student to use that board. So there is a, you could manage the boards. So, you know, you don't, you don't, for example, you want to give the boards only to that student. So you actually reserve the board only for him. So there is a, there is a whole ecosystem of how you use it. So we, we actually uh, put a lot of effort to be uh, um, easily for use. Okay. So you know, let's um, sort of finally, I want to just ask you, how will this change uh, the industry? I mean, uh, providing this hardware as a service, is that going to be conceptually hard for people to understand or is it you know, something that people are going to be excited to sort of take on board? Excuse the pun. Well, you know, it's, um, in my opinion, it will change the industry a lot. So you, you have a silicon vendor right now. He, he have to give you uh, the board so you could try the chip you want to use, etc. So just imagine if the board is inside the planet debug concept. So one board could be, could be used for hundreds of engineers in the world. So on a different time zone, you don't need to wait anything. So just imagine, for example, if you are a silicon vendor and you have a promotion of, of one silicon. And at the same promotion, you said, if you want to try this, there is a link. Mm. So you could actually, you could go and, and you could, uh, for example, have a specialized uh, setup in Planet Debug concept says microchip new Wi-Fi uh, module and then the, bo- uh, the module name. So you search that, find that board which have that um, module and you, uh, there is an example, you, you could test, is it working good for you or not? Or maybe you, you could test something else, et cetera. So it speed up a lot. And then uh, if you, for example, like that product, you will buy that product. So oh, we spend, we, we, uh, the, uh, the, our shelves are so full of the boards we are not using. So, you know, and we, and we, we like, all of us like to kind of uh, save the planet. So let's do what we could do. You know, we, we can't, can't change the usage of coil. In, in, in our industry, but we could do something which could help effort we are all putting in, in, in saving our planet. On that note, Ned, thank you very much. Thank you. So that brings us to the end of this episode. That was Embedded Edge with Nitin, and I'm Nitin Dahad. Thanks for listening.